Welcome to Democracy Support Dialogues, a brand new monthly podcast that will explore the European Union's democracy support in its eastern and southern neighborhoods. From the best practices to the shortcomings of Europe's democracy support agenda, this 12-part series will walk through the policies of a variety of institutions and states to harness our collective democratic knowledge. My name is Fabian Schöpna, and I'll be speaking with a range of guests and experts on democracy support in Armenia, Georgia, and Ukraine, as well as in Lebanon, Palestine, and Tunisia as part of the Shaped MEU project that sets out to rethink and reshape EU democracy support policies in its eastern and southern neighborhoods. Like and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to your audio content to stay up to date on our new releases. So for our inaugural episode, maybe I should start with just a brief introduction of myself, since we'll be cozying up with one another over the course of the series. Like I said, my name is Fabian Trepna, and I'm one of the coordinators of this project. I'm a researcher at the Justus Liebig University Gießen, and you may have heard me discuss some of this with Professor Andrea de Gavrich in our trailer. I'm so excited to have you listening to this podcast, and if all goes well, learning from it too. But that's enough about me. For the remainder of the episode... I've invited Professor Michelle Potch to join me in talking through Shaped MEU's key concepts and approaches to EU democracy support. Michelle is Professor in Global Studies at Roskilde University in Denmark, an Honorary Professor in Politics and International Studies at the University of Birmingham in the UK. Her research is centered around European, Middle East, migration, democratization, and conflict studies. Together with her excellent colleague, Dr. Christian Achreina, they have been leading the theoretical and conceptual efforts in our project. We thought this might be a good place to start the podcast series for you all so that we can start from a common ground of sorts before we dive deeper into the neighborhoods, EU institutions, and member states for our later editions. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Michelle. All right, Michelle. Well, thanks so much for joining me. Let's get right to it. What new concepts does Shaped MEU hope to contribute to academic and policy discussions related to the EU's democracy support agenda? Thanks, Fabienne. So it's important to start with the key puzzle that actually drives Shaped MEU's ongoing research. So what we start with is the puzzle of why is it that after so many decades of EU democracy support programs, both in the eastern and the southern neighborhoods, the EU as an organization does not really seem to have any established setup to learn about its past, what we call malpractices in the field of democracy support. So by this, we mean those practices that don't really bring democratization about neither in the east nor in the south. So the important distinction that we also make in the project is that when it comes to its eastern neighborhood, the EU, of course, has the carrot of eventual EU membership on offer. So the Copenhagen criteria, which is a set of clear rules that guide the pathway to membership for eastern neighborhoods, these are kind of benchmarks that the EU can use as important monitoring mechanisms throughout the process. This, however, of course, is not the case with the southern neighbours. So in this case, what we have seen in the past decades is that while the EU and its member states promote democratization or political reform in the South, they also do something else, which is to the detriment of democratization. So, for instance, uh, member states sell arms to these southern states that are often used to violate their own people's human rights. 
So what we dig out are these inherent contradictions in what the EU and its member states seem to be doing in one policy field, so for instance trade, and how this is entangled with what it does in its so-called or proclaimed democracy support programs. Okay, so there is a comparative aspect to all of this, from comparing how the EU is supporting democratic politics in the East to how it's doing so in the South, to looking at how EU democracy support is affected by other policy areas. What do we hope to learn from all of this? So another important concept that Shape EU is working on is the establishment of a unique democracy learning loop, which will help us as analysts, as observers of the EU, really understand how the EU and its members states can first and foremost unlearn what they have been doing so far in this area of democracy support, which really does not bring about democratization in the East or the South. And therefore, the idea of the loop is to give us a way in which we can suggest how the EU can go about to relearn new ways of supporting people's quest for democratization. And thus, our aim is to shift the EU's past malpractices into hopefully good practices. But I mean, these countries in Eastern Europe, the South Caucasus, the Middle East and North Africa, they're made up of different types of people. What role do they play in your approach? So another stage that we are working on is that all this work for a democracy learning loop requires us to conceptually build a typology of all the actors involved in the so-called EU democracy support practices. So here we don't only include EU institutions, but think tanks, civil society organizations, both in Brussels as well as in the South and in the East. So therefore we need to conceptualize EU democracy support as practices that are performed again and again within this multi-layered constellation of what we call communities of practice. So we are also interested in learning more about the kind of background knowledge that informs these actors involved in what we call the EU democracy support industry. And why do we do this? We do this because we are interested in understanding why this unlearning does not seem to happen at the EU level. So we need to dig into those actors that have been contesting what the EU has been doing in democracy support and thus help us to find pathways for EU learning that open spaces for these unheard voices. So especially what we have in mind here are local voices that can be heard from both the South and the eastern neighborhood equally. Sure, your focus on practices and international relations is a super common theme in academia at the moment. And I'm the kind of person who doesn't really understand things oftentimes, so your emphasis on learning is an aspect that really resonates with me about this project. Now, you mentioned listening to unheard voices from the East and South. They don't always agree with EU policies, and at times even resist or contest them. How does that figure into shaped MEU? Contestation is a very, very important and key term in Shape Them EU. So what we are trying to study is really how people contest what the EU is doing. So this means that we understand contestation and people's participation as constituent dimensions of what we see as a vibrant democracy. So in other words, contestation for us in the project is part and parcel of what we deem to be a healthy democratic process. 
So just to explain a little bit more what we mean by this. So in a healthy democracy, there is always space for public contestation, right? So the identification of challenges or problems with what the EU has been doing in this field. So for instance, when we demarcate undemocratic practices such as corruption or institutions that are out of date with the development of political reform in the East or the South. So when people of the regions that we're interested in are contesting what the EU is doing, there is this kind of opportunity that is created for these policies to be reformed or changed in the way that they can be turned from malpractices to good practices. So therefore, regular contestation is very key because it allows for democratic institutions and instruments to remain, of course, fit for purpose. So as a second step, what we argue in this project so far is that people's contestation, whether it is lawmakers or contesting those in power or governments, they are challenged in such a way that will help them to critically reflect, but also re-evaluate their own decisions and policies. So contestation is about key policymakers, decision makers in democracy support, taking stock of what is it that we have been doing in this field? Why has it not really helped these neighborhoods to move ahead in the democratization field? And what can we do differently that we have not done in the past that can help us to support democratization. So as a project, we aim to shed light on different forms of contestation that equally challenge democracy and democracy support. So there is also another side to this critique, which is that the EU is also challenged by the rise of populism, by alternative facts and fake news, for instance. So somehow this escalates the level at which fundamental norms of the EU are being challenged. So again, this takes the understanding of contestation at a much wider and broader level, right? Clearly, social media and online experiences shape much of how we view politics today, including within Europe's older democracies. So one of the cross-cutting themes that we are using to capture these forms of contestation within the project is the cross-cutting theme of digital transformation. So what are we doing here? We recognize that authoritarian rulers often use digital technology to censor critical voices, to survey protesters, to spread false information, to spread particular ideologies, but also to collect citizens' personal data. So this, as we know, has endangered the field of democracy support. So the EU and its member states now have also to address these kind of digital challenges that challenge its democracy support. So some scholars have referred to the rise of digital authoritarianism. So we are particularly noting autocrats especially, of course, in the East and the Southern neighborhoods that are using this kind of digital technology to increase information warfare, for instance, or to adapt digital communication to entrench their authoritarianism, etc. So this is key for us because digital transformation is not only a tool that can enhance democracy, but it can also challenge democratization. So because it is such a powerful tool for contesting democratic norms and practices, we need to take it very seriously. So this is why 
I think it's key that Shape MEU focuses on digital transformation. Maybe just to hone in on one point in particular here that you just made. You mentioned institutions and democratization. When looking at the countries in the EU's neighborhoods, do we see them as democratic to some extent already? If we indeed want to learn from them, they should be teaching us about their understandings of democracy too, right? So I'll start with the very important notion that we bring to the project, which is local democratic knowledge. What we have been observing as analysts, as um, educators as well, is that wider populations in both neighborhoods have been calling out for specific forms of political reform. So we need to tap what does democracy and democratization really mean in the respective cases that we are focusing on, whether it's Ukraine or Armenia or Georgia or Palestine, Lebanon or Tunisia. So This is one very important thing. What do people in the neighborhoods call democracy or democratization? And the second important element is how do they spread this understanding? And this is again relating to the point about digital transformation. So we are looking at the understanding of democracy and democratization from the point of view of a bottom-up approach from the people of the neighborhoods, which means that we go beyond privileged Um, understandings of elites, including us as academics or think tankers. Yeah, I think that's such an important point about our project. And one reason why I'm personally just so invested in what we're trying to do and critically reflecting about our own positions and understandings of how democracy is practiced. So maybe do you have an example of what we mean when we're trying to look at the practices of democracy in the southern neighborhood? So just to give some examples, um, during the Arab uprisings, protesters called for an end to their government's corruption. But at the same time, they called for an improvement in citizens' quality of life and also their dignity. So social media in this case played a crucial role in how protesters shared their understanding of democracy and democratization and what they could see as possible ways of addressing political change. Similarly, when we had the Orange Revolution, Ukrainians protested against their government's entrenched corruption against voter intimidation, but also electoral fraud. So what we are trying to do when we say we learn from the neighborhoods is to bed local knowledges of democracy and democratization as the starting point of this democracy learning loop that we want to build. It will also help us understand better what are the quagmires that the EU and its member states face when they are trying to promote a certain understanding of democracy that might not parallel or coincide with the same call for democracy from the peoples of the East and the South. Right. For years, we've heard Brussels and member state capitals talk about local ownership as it relates to these countries in the East and South. But I think it's just as important for us to look at what these countries are doing, what they're practicing, and learn from them not only to improve how we support their democratic politics, but maybe to improve how we practice our own. Given the incredibly tense situations in European democracies, these lessons can't come a moment too soon. So this is really crucial for us. And I think it's important that we delve into the details of the EU's democracy support and its long durée, its history of supporting democracy in the South and the East, and draw from that lessons that we can learn of what the EU could have possibly done that went in the right direction of bringing about political change. But also those areas, for instance, we have four policy areas where 
EU institutions and its member states have actually deviated from their proclaimed democracy support. And here I have in mind, for instance, when we look at the history of arms exports of certain member states to the southern neighborhoods, or when the EU has been dealing with Russia, for instance, in the issue of energy and trade, and then trying at the same time to encourage democratization in the so-called sphere of influence of Russia, not necessarily having a dialogue about these entangled policies with Russia. So I think it's really important that we bring to the fore these challenging policy areas, but underlying these inherent contradictions that we observe when it comes to EU democracy support, both in the East and in the South. It's such a great point to make, Michelle, since the EU is not just interacting with these countries to support their democracies. It's also trading with them, working out migration deals or energy packs and security arrangements. And these relationships can have meaningful impacts on EU democracy support, sometimes to the benefit of democratic politics in bolstering transparency and rule of law standards, but they can also be a detriment to democracy support. It's certainly entangled, as you say. Of course, our aim is to disentangle some of these complexities. But we don't want to just disentangle. We also want to enable the EU to do better, to support democracies better. But that will require us to help the EU unlearn some of its bad habits, or as you have phrased it, malpractices. So how do we go about actually doing that? Mm -hmm. Well, <laughs> the good thing about ShapedMEU is that it consists of various academics, but also think thinkers, but also civil society representatives that come from very interdisciplinary you know, approaches. And one of the things we learn from organizational behavior is that organizations have a really hard time to get away from this shared and accumulated knowledge that drives what organizations do. And I think we see this so inherent in what the EU is doing when it comes to democracy support. So there is the understanding, first and foremost, that electoral democracy is a key moment of what the EU is trying to do. So the EU sends its own observation missions. These missions have to make sure that elections are conducted in free, fair and transparent ways. And then a report is written and we kind of can tick the box of, okay, these elections were free, fair and transparent, or these are elections were not managed very well, there was fraud, etc. But slowly focusing on elections is not really going to bring about political change. Right. So we have various examples that we're using in the project. And I think one of the ways in which Shape the EU can help the EU is to precisely look at what these practices have been for so long and try and decipher where is it exactly that the EU went wrong? Why did the EU go wrong? Was it because of political expediency? Was it because of pressures from lobbying groups? And therefore understand whether what the EU then does in practice is really in tune with what the EU claims it does in the field of democracy support. So where we see a dissonance between what the EU claims and what the EU does, this is where we open up the space for the EU to learn. So the idea is that we bring closer what the EU claims to be doing with what it actually can do in practice. And this is the whole project's raison d'etre, I believe. We're definitely out to bridge the gap between rhetoric and practice with learning and knowledge. And as a part of our orientation towards the EU's practice of democracy support, we also think it's important to take a look at the communities involved, at the people in what you might call the industry of democracy support. What can you tell us about those communities, what they're like, and why we need to look at them more closely? 
You know, one of the things that never stops to surprise me is the distinction between those EU actors who are in the moment working within EU institutions and the different language and the different way in which they argue about a particular policy areas once they leave Brussels or leave the EU institution. So what we identify in the project are what we call insiders, or you can also refer to these as usual suspects. All those actors along the chain of everyone who can be involved from the council decision to the EU commission program, to the NGOs or civil society organization that the EU funds on democracy support, to those who contest what the EU is doing. So we have a chain of actors that are having a kind of shared knowledge about what the EU is doing. They are dependent on EU funding for what they do so they are usually those who implement the EU's programs on the ground etc. So it's important for us to understand how these so-called communities of practice come together and sustain this kind of silo environment where they speak the same language, they continue to do the same way in which they implement programs etc. without really taking a step on the side and thinking is what we're doing really having an effect here? So usually it's left to the outsiders, those who contest the EU, but not being involved in the programs that you promote to bring about political change. And we try and bring these insiders and outsiders together to tease out where again can we find space to cultivate first and foremost this unlearning I was talking about earlier and then ways in which we can help you to relearn new ways of doing things and we have a particular team that is working on this conceptualization so first and foremost we have to think through all the possible actors involved in this process and we use this as a systematic way in which we visualize these insiders and outsiders but then we have partners on the ground who can feed very detailed information of who exactly are we talking about. We have specific lists of civil society organizations who have learned the EU's language of how to fill in a form, how to, to make sure that their funding is renewed once it, it expires. Same thing for think tanks, both in Brussels and in the neighborhood. And interestingly, we're also looking at people from the region who have perhaps left their particular country of origin, but remain outsiders at the same time insiders being let's say living in in an EU country but coming originally let's say from Lebanon and these voices are very important to hear because they have this kind of distance from what is going on and they can also express what it means to live in a democracy when when living in a European country with its challenges as we know as this comes forth. Well I have to say for myself it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you and listening to your thoughts on how we can understand democracy and EU democracy support. As always, Michelle, uh, I have so many more questions for you, but sadly we've run out of time. Uh, and of course, we want to speak with others to learn from their perspectives as well. So thanks so much for joining me on this inaugural episode, Michelle. It's been a delight speaking with you today. Thank you, Fabienne. It's my pleasure to be part of this democracy support dialogues. And I really hope that we engage our audiences with a true dialogue about what the EU can do in democracy support in both its east and its southern neighborhoods. That's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed this insight into how democracy support dialogues will look at EU democracy support.
I just really want to thank Michelle Potch from Roskilde University for being such a patient and gracious guest. Join us next month when I speak with Professor Elena Korostaleva from the University of Warwick as we delve into democratic practices in the Eastern neighborhood, followed by a brief conversation with Kristina Pitoskaya, who will join me from the Eastern Partnership Civil Society Forum to shed light on civil society's perspective of things. See you then. Thank you.